Oh, it's great to be with you. How are you all doing today? Yeah, awesome. Um, just before we get started, um, the reason that I am out in the parking lot all the time is so that I can take mental notes of who comes in late every single week. And uh, we too are enacting our own emergency orders and um, we'll see, is it too soon for that? All right. <laughs> well, I'm just joking. Um, I did want to tell you, though, that um, in a couple of weeks, uh, the first Sunday in March, the 6th, I think it is, uh, we are going back to one uh, service at 10 a.m., filled up, packed out. And the reason I'm telling you that is, number one, for those of you who are chronically late, if you are late, you're going to be parking across at Fireman's Park for sure, guaranteed. Like, it's pretty full even in this uh, fullness of service. And so the first service was even fuller than this today. There's a whole group, a whole world of people that you don't even know who come to these different services. So our heart is actually to reconnect and in community, to just engage with each other, to enjoy being uh, with each other and around each other. It's been a really long couple of years. Yeah. So, um, so that's March 6th. That'll be a 10 a.m. Uh, service time here. And again, uh, you will not want to be late or else you're going to be parking across the street and sitting out in the lobby maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I also wanted to uh, just throw the, the word out there um, so that we can manage things well. We are going to sort of want to increase our parking team uh, capacity out there so we can do a, a good job of directing when it's super duper busy. So if you're interested in being a part of our team, it was freezing cold at 8.30 this morning, but generally it's lots of fun. Andrew's out there with us all the time and some other people. If you'd like to help us out, then uh, come talk to me after the service and we'll get you connected into that team. And uh, that would be awesome. We could use the help so that we can get people safely into the building as efficiently and quickly as possible. But that's coming up in a couple of weeks. So we're super excited about that. Everybody that I've connected with in the parking lot and just kind of floated that idea by is really excited to be back in that context. And we'll do that as long as we can until we are standing out in the lobby and parking like down Dorchester somewhere. And <laughs> we'll figure it out um, together and all of that. So uh, I'm gonna just dive right in. We're in this counterformed series and um, we'll do a little bit of review to start, but these are uh, weeks where we're looking at the spiritual practices that Jesus himself engaged in as a way of being shaped into a kingdom life on the earth. And his calling for us is that we would walk in the same kingdom life and authority that he had. But that doesn't come just passively. And the reason it doesn't come passively and the reason it's so hard is because uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that there's three uh, primary powerful 
forces at work in our lives. And they've been working since the moment you and I were born. They're working in the background. They're working through all of the different uh, areas of our life, the structures and systems of our culture and our world. And they're working to shape and form us into their own image. And they they have a, a tremendous efficacy and they have great power and great influence in our life. And Paul talks about them in Ephesians chapter two, verses one to three. And those three formative forces at work in your life and in my life that are trying to form us into their image, not the image of Jesus or the kingdom, are the flesh, like our own desires. Sometimes in scripture, it calls it um, our sinful nature. The devil himself imposing himself and his kingdom of darkness on our world. If you think as a Christian that you are immune to the attacks of the enemy, you are categorically wrong. And we, in fact, may move into a series on what the devil can do to Christians because so many of us just believe, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit, I have Jesus, like I don't have to worry about anything. But the devil is constantly at work. His his demons and his kingdom of darkness are at work to shape us and form us, to tear us down, to, to enslave us in bondage. And the third category that Paul talks about is the world. And we defined that last week. I just want to go over that again just to remind us of what Paul is talking about. He's not talking just about the natural earth, the physical earth or universe, and he's not talking about people. See, this is again where I I catch myself in this. When I'm watching, you know, social feeds and I'm trying to keep up to date with what's going on, Scripture is clear that it's not the people who are the problem. It's the animating forces of the enemy behind it. Right? Like Paul says, like, hey, Jeff is not my enemy. He never is anyway. But it's not Jeff, even if he was to deeply offend me and wound me or do something to to hurt me. It's not Jeff, that's the problem. It's what's working to influence his life. And I I just want to say this gently, but it's not the people you disagree with in government or socially or whatever that are the issue. It's these three powerful forces at work on the earth today that are shaping and influencing values and ideologies and So when Paul is talking about the world, the definition there is cosmos in the Greek, and it's the system of practices that he's talking about and standards associated with secular society. Another way to say it is it's not the person, you know, so I'll just use our prime minister as an example. It's not... Justin Trudeau, it's the system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are shaping and influencing his life. He's not the enemy. Your adversary is not the enemy. My adversary is not my enemy. The person is not the problem. 
It's that we live in this atmosphere of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and institutionalized in our culture. Another way to say it when Paul is talking about the world would be the atmosphere. The atmosphere we're all breathing. We can't necessarily see it, but we're all breathing oxygen right now and we're all exhaling carbon dioxide. The atmosphere of normalized and celebrated disordered desires. So when Paul is talking about the world having a a formational power in our life to shape us into its image, he's talking about this atmosphere of values and ideas and convictions and, and normative assumptions. Like this is the way it is and this is how you have to think and this is how you have to see this and this is how you have to respond and react to this and that and the other thing. That's the world that Paul is talking about. And this atmosphere of disordered desires is the very thing that scripture says we need to be counterformed out of. So why is it so hard for us to grow spiritually? Again, it doesn't happen by accident, just by virtue of time. It's so hard to grow spiritually because we have these three forces imposing their will on our lives and we can't escape it. The only thing we can do is enter into a counterformational practice that displaces that and puts us on a foundation, on a trajectory consistent with the kingdom of God. Again, the German word for this is zeitgeist. And that means a defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history. So Jesus, in this period in history, in your life and in mine, calls us to be counterformed. What does Paul say? Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Part of what Paul is meaning there is that um, our culture and our environment, the atmosphere around us is infiltrating our thinking and our processing and the way we see the world. And scripture and Jesus calls us to a different way to see and interpret reality around us. He calls us to confront these three powerful forces and the vision they have for our life. Because the devil, our culture, and your own flesh have a vision for your life. And the selling, you know, the the marketing on that vision is that it's gonna bring you freedom and happiness and fulfillment, but it never seems to quite do that. Part of what we're talking today in in this spiritual practice, today we're talking about rest and Sabbath. This is a counterformational idea because the vision of our world around us and the desire of our culture is that we enter into their frantic and chaotic busyness driven by an insatiable need for more, 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 more. 
the vision that the world has for you and I is that we would work ourselves into exhaustion, that busyness would define our lives, that we would spend all of our energy emotionally and physically and everything else financially on gaining more and more, on having more security, more cushion, more buffer, more accomplishment, more achievement, more, 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 more until we are whittled down to nothing but anxious worry, brokenness and exhaustion. That's what the world wants for us. And it says that this is what you must value in your life, is working yourself until you have nothing left for those you love around you. At the expense of everyone and everything you love, work yourself to the point where you have no emotional margin for anything, where you can't even cope with crisis anymore because you're so consumed and exhausted and depleted. When crisis comes, you just, you fracture, you fray. And then the people that bear the brunt of that are the ones you love the most and you don't want to do it. You don't want to hurt them, but you have no margin in your life. And yet our world says, this is what needs to be valued. You need to push and go and drive. If you follow The Rock on Instagram, I don't know if you do or not, but he's, I, I mean, in my dreams, I look like him, but I don't have the, the willpower to achieve it. <laughs> but, you know, like we have this kind of mentality in our world right now, right? This side hustle mentality. Or what he says is just this hustle mentality. And it's like, I think that during COVID, he's talking about like just driving himself, pushing through every barrier and limitation. He, he gets like two hours of sleep a night. And some of his fans on Instagram have commented like, like, like medical experts and said, hey, like, we love you, but your body physically can't sustain that. You, your body will shut down. You will literally die if you don't get more rest. But yet we have this drive in our culture to hustle for more and more, to achieve more, to, to push boundaries. And when we look at this idea of being counterformed by rest and Sabbath, we actually are confronted with God's reality that you and I have limits. And that's a good thing. We aren't infinite. We can't just push forever. We have limits in our life. And Jesus calls us to a different vision of life that's not driven by busyness and worry. So we've talked about different uh, counterformational practices in the last few weeks. We talked about scripture in the first week, that spending intentional time reading scripture and time with God and his word counterforms our desire to define truth within ourselves. This is counterformational to the culture around us that says you have your own truth and your truth is sovereign to you. When we come under scripture and we practice immersing our life in scripture, we are counterforming ourselves from the desire to define truth within ourselves in prayer. 
We talked about that week two, Pastor Brenda, when we engage in regular rhythms of prayer. And I would suggest starting on like, you know, in the morning, it doesn't have to be for an hour or whatever, but start with a few minutes intentionally of, of prayer. Prayer counterforms our desire to be our own God and Savior. When we pray, we acknowledge, God, I have limitations. I have deficiencies. I need your help and your work in my life. I need your presence to sustain me. I need your wisdom. I need your input into my life. I'm not self-sustaining and self-sufficient. When we pray, we humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are not God. When we practice community, that counterforms us from the desire to be independent and self-sufficient. Scripture is really clear. You're not a rock and you're not an island. You weren't designed to live in isolation. None of us were. So when we gather like this and we immerse our lives in each other's lives, we acknowledge that we were made for relationship, not just isolation and independence. And chastity, we talked about that last week, counterforms where we find fulfillment and purpose. And today, rest and Sabbath is counterforming our culture of restlessness and exhaustion. Part of this issue is that we have a problem with time. Meaning somehow we think that we can create more of it by just being busier. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which we have some copies out back if you, uh, like in the lobby after the service, if you wanna buy one, it's by John Mark Comer, and it was one of the most convicting books I read last year. He kind of tracks how time has influenced us over millennia. And if we go all the way back to 200 BC, people were complaining in 200 BC about the sundial. The invention of the sundial, I don't know exactly what year the sundial was invented, but in 200 BC, there's a Roman poet, a playwright, who was just railing against the invention of the sundial. And whoever invented it, he said this of that person, you hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. I hate you for creating the sundial. 200 BC, fast forward a few hundred years to the fifth and sixth centuries, the monks of the St. Benedictine order began to organize their monastery around fixed hours of prayer every day. And these monks actually invented the first mechanical clock. And they invented a mechanical clock to help them structure their spiritual lives in prayer. This is in the, uh, the 600s, 6 and 700s. Fast forward to 1370, the first town clock tower was erected in 1370 in Cologne, Germany. This now had an incredible effect and influence on culture and society. A society that generally moved with seasons and times and moved to the rhythms of the sun and the moon, this agrarian agricultural society that, that kind of flowed and shifted with nature now became dependent on a mechanical clock. Listen to what one historian says about that. 
Here was man's declaration of independence from the son, new proof of his mastery over himself and his surroundings. Only later would it be revealed that he had accomplished the mastery by putting himself under the dominion of a machine with imperious demands all its own. See, the son, up until this point, had set the rhythms of work and rest. And it did it under the control of God, under the design and the rhythm of God. But now that we had mechanical timepieces, specifically that were set in town square, so the whole town now could operate not under the rhythm of God for life, but under a mechanical rhythm, being subject now to outside influences. The clock made time now artificial and tampered with God's natural rhythms of life. If you think about it, before this, if you were a farmer, by nature of the rhythms of seasons, right in the longer days of spring and summer, you would work out in the fields and spend your days and your daylight producing so that your family could eat and you could put food on the table and you had something to bring to the town so that they could buy food from you. And, and then when fall and winter hit and the days got shorter, you spent less time outside and more time resting. And why? Because our bodies weren't made to go at breakneck speed year after year, month after month. God designed our, our world that we live in with natural rhythms of rest. Why do farmers let fields go fallow? They should every seven years. Because the earth is depleted from its nutrients and it needs to rest in order to be good provider and sustainer for life. And we, in our smart inventiveness, came up with a mechanical way around that. The light bulb, 1879, Thomas Edison invented it. Do you know that before the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours a night? When was the last time you slept 11 hours? Like, especially if you have kids, toddlers, like that's just forget that. But when was the last time? When was the last time you didn't set your alarm and wake up to the beep of your alarm, but woke up when your body was naturally rested? Do you know that now the average sleep time is about seven hours? So we work at you know, an increased volume and breakneck speed. We work ourselves to the bone with less and less time for our bodies to recover and recuperate. So this counterformational practice of rest and Sabbath is not about sort of a religious legalism, like you can't do this, like you can't go to Swiss Chalet for lunch after church or go to the mall, or like we've, we've just butchered this one so badly in the church. God's heart behind rest 
And Sabbath is not, you know, forbidding us to do things that we like to do. It's actually to reincorporate his own rhythm into our life because he knows that we can't sustain the gas pedal to the floor for our whole life. And yet somehow we believe that we're the exception to the rule. So rest and Sabbath counterform us into a culture that opposes restlessness and exhaustion. There's a pastor, his name is John Ortberg, and years ago he was pastoring a huge megachurch in Chicago. He was one of the pastors of Willow Creek. And while he was in the midst of this ginormous church in this, this fast-paced global city, he reached out to his mentor, Dallas Willard, and he said, Dallas, how do I become the person I know God has called me to be because I'm getting sucked into this vortex of life and work and exhaustion in the church. Dallas Willard was quiet on the phone for a minute. And then this is what he said in response to that question. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Just pause on that for a minute. Hurry is the great enemy to your spiritual life. When was the last time you felt like you had moments to breathe? When was the last time you felt like you were being refreshed and renewed in your life? When was the last time you felt like you had capacity for the people you love? Like, not just my wires are frayed right now, but actually I've got something to give to the people I love the most. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew, in his parable of the farmer and the soil. He said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. I think that probably describes the lion's share of us in this room, that our spiritual life is being suffocated by our worry to get things done, by our need to feel like we're hurrying from one thing to the next. 64 appointments in one hour that has 60 minutes. That the cares of this life and our need to, to work so that one day we can rest are just suffocating the things that God actually wants to do in our life. In our world right now, our culture, it, it's, it markets to us this idea of rest and relaxation, that it's possible, right? We, you see the ads in your social feeds and on the news, like, you know, the ads for the Caribbean holidays and all of that stuff, and it's so appealing. Like, it's like my heart just longs to lay on a beach and, February in Mexico, like literally. I remember when Rochelle and I, on our honeymoon, we were in the Mayan. 
And of course you're on your honeymoon and the world is just like, you know, an oyster at your feet. And we got sucked into one of those marketing things at the resort. And you step in there and they know like you're a young couple, newly married, like you've got the rose colored glasses on. And, and so the first question they ask is like, how much do you value rest and relaxation? And we look at each other like a lot. Like how, how important are holidays for you? Like, do you wanna be on a holiday for two to three weeks a year, some tropical? Yes, we do. And we're just getting sucked into this idea, right? Of rest and relaxation and unwinding and unplugging. And then the pitch comes and somehow we're forking over thousands of dollars for this idea that every year we're going to Mexico for weeks of our life to rest because we just value that so much. And we did. It was the stupidest thing we've ever done. Literally, like here's thousands of dollars because I just, I want a holiday every year. We didn't go for 10 more years. <laughs> the first time we went back there, after we paid thousands of dollars for the privilege of going there every year was our 10 year anniversary. And then when we were there, we thought, why do we want to come here? We've already been here. We'd rather go to like Aruba or the Dominican or whatever. We'd like totally wasted our money because we bought into that vision, the cruise life, right? The, the life at the beach. But the catch that comes with that is you have to work yourself into exhaustion and oblivion in order to be able to afford it. And then kids and life happens and you realize, I can't. So I've got to keep working. I've got to keep producing. I've got to strengthen my margins. I have to keep doing, grinding it out for the hope that one day I can, you know, grab a pina colada and put my feet up. Fruity drinks are the best in those resorts. Anyway. And Jesus says, I actually have a different rhythm of life for you. It's one where you practice resting every week. You practice in a 24-hour period resting. Sabbath in the Hebrew is the word Shabbat, and it means to cease or to stop. The heart of Sabbath, I want to leave two points about Sabbath with you. The heart of Sabbath, number one, is to counterform the foundation of our trust. When we engage in resting, so Sabbath being like one 24-hour period per week, it doesn't matter which day it's on. In the Jewish calendar, it starts Friday night at dinner and goes to Saturday at dinner. That's the start of a new week for them. But it doesn't matter. Again, we're not being legalistic about it. Sabbath means to stop. And Sabbath counterforms the foundation of where our trust in. What does it do? When we actually stop, when we unplug from work and the demands of life, what it declares is, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you financially. I trust you with what's going on in my work life, in my business. I trust you to provide for me. I trust you to bless our family. God, I am not indispensable. 
But how many times do we say it out loud or think it in our heart? If I don't do it, what? Nobody's gonna do it. If I don't hold this up, the whole thing's gonna come crashing to the ground. That's what we believe. And so then we push and we work and we exhaust ourselves because we don't trust in God's goodness to sustain and provide for us. Sabbath actually resets and counterforms our foundation of trust. Where is your trust actually rooted? Is it rooted in God to take care of your life? Or is your trust rooted in your earning power and potential? Is your trust in your own productivity, your own capacity, your own intellect, your own ability to drive and get things done and multitask and all of that? Those are all fine things, but they're not places to put our trust. When we engage in the spiritual practice of Sabbath, we counterform the foundation of our trust away from us and onto God. Another way to say this would be we combat the hurry and worry of our culture. That says you just, you gotta get going, go faster. Because if you don't do it, things are gonna go sideways really quick. The second heart of Sabbath is it counterforms the foundation of our joy. So Sabbath means to stop, Shabbat means to stop, but Shabbat also can be translated to delight. It not only means to stop, but it means to stop and then take joy in God. Take joy in life, the life that he has actually designed for you. You know, your life should actually bring you joy. Like, why, why do we believe otherwise that life is just a grind that's just killing us? Well, I mean, we are dying, but you know what I mean? Like, in a different way. <laughs> so it means to actually delight, and it counterforms where our joy comes from. Does, does your joy come from the accumulation of more wealth or things, toys? Does your joy come from being able to afford that trip to Mexico? There's nothing wrong with going there. Pastor Brenda and Mark are there right now. Dang it. (laughs) But does your joy stem from the things that you can possess? Or does it come from actually stopping and living in the moment? Like what happened to that? What happened to being present in the moment? We were skiing with the kids um, the other day. Normally we don't ski in Ontario. We, when we go back out west to Rochelle's parents, we usually ski there, but we decided the kids were begging. We went to Horseshoe. And it was a challenge at first for me to be in the moment with them, to not be connected to my phone and my texts and email. But it's so much more enjoyable in life when we put that stuff down and we actually just be with each other in the moment, taking in everything that's good about it. And Sabbath counteracts and counterforms where we find joy. This is how John Mark Comer in that book I recommended that's in the lobby for you says it. Just think about this. So this, I love this description. This is God's heart for Sabbath and rest for us. 
What could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with a deep throbbing joy? That would make me spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise. Even when I read that, doesn't your heart just yearn for that? Like this, this pulsing joy, satisfaction, like awe and wonder. When was the last time you felt those things? When was the last time you just sat somewhere or stood somewhere or were in some kind of scenario where you just stopped and a huge smile came across your face and you were like, wow. Isn't God good? Isn't life to be enjoyed? When was the last time you felt that? God's heart in this idea of Sabbath rest is that your life would, would take on a new rhythm where you would experience that deep fulfillment like all the time. Like the purpose of Sabbath is not that you just forbid doing things. The purpose of Sabbath and rest is that you would experience the fullest life and joy because you are present in the moment in God's goodness all around you. And that the people you love, you have emotional capacity and margin for them. That you're not on a knife edge of frustration and anxiousness and worry and anger and your emotions aren't so frayed that the smallest little thing sets you off and you're, you snap at your kids or your family or all of that stuff. The, the, the heart of God is that you back away from that cliff and have the rest you need so that you have capacity and margin to enjoy life in its fullest. And you'll never get there by working more and doing more. You won't. That's the, that's the bait and switch of our world, saying drive yourself to the bone. But God says, I have a new reality for you. Back to that parable of the soil and the things of the world and those things choking out our spiritual life. Again, Jesus said the Seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, by hurry and worry and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Here's what Jesus is saying. Be aware of a life dominated by good things. He's not talking about like forbidden things. He's saying the good things in your life that actually take like this, this God-like persona that you're chasing at the expense of everything else. Be weary when the good things of life begin to dominate your life in such a way that it's choking out your spiritual life. That your pursuit of these things is damaging your relationships and your friendships and every part of your life. Be aware of a life dominated by the good things instead of dominated by God. So Sabbath is not about correcting grievous sin. It's directed toward counterforming the good things that God has given us so that we can enjoy them the way he's designed them to. Another way to say it is Jesus was saying that you can distract yourself into spiritual death. You and I can distract ourselves into spiritual apathy and eventually death. And I think, let's be honest, that's something we all struggle with. I'm, I, I've been convicted about trying to uh, intentionally engage in Sabbath in my life, and it's been hard. 
like really hard. It's hard to turn off your phone and it's hard to be present in the moment. It's hard not to worry about work stuff and stuff getting done and financial things and all of this stuff. It's hard. But that stuff is literally choking out the life of God and the joy that he wants for you and I. So the question is, what are you spending all of your time and energy on right now? John Ortberg says it this way. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Again, doesn't that ring true? Like in the depth of your being, don't you just feel like, I'm, I don't feel like I'm really living all the time. I just don't feel it. I feel numb and I feel two-dimensional and I feel stuck in all of these things. And God has said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. But part of that is coming out of the rhythm of our culture and into the rhythm of God for our lives, which includes rest and Sabbath. So where do we start? Again, I'm, this is something I'm working on. I want to encourage you. Here's where to start. Set aside one 24-hour period per week. Doesn't matter which day it is. Fit it into your rhythm of life. And here's where you start. Turn your phone off. Like, don't, don't just put it on silent. Turn it off. I would actually recommend, this is the only way I've been able to do it, is I put it in a drawer and I just walk away from it. It's hard. But you'll never begin to experience rest until you disconnect with the tyranny of the urgent that's found in your phone. So where you start is commit. Do your, just commit intentionally to turn your phone off and make plans to spend time resting with your family. Enjoy each other's company. Take time, as one writer said, to allow your soul to catch up to your body. Jesus said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. God designed Sabbath rest for your benefit and for mine not as a legal obligation, not as a ritual to perform, but as a moment to be renewed by him and what he offers our life. I wanna just close with this and I, I just wanna invite you to close your eyes. I think that we need a moment of real honesty here. As I was reflecting on this in my own life, this is what I wrote down. I want to read to you what I wrote this week as it relates to this. I wrote the reason our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, family, children, and grandchildren have no interest or very little in following Jesus is not primarily because the church and its programs aren't attractive and engaging. It's because they see very little worth in emulating the spiritual lives of their parents and their friends or family. 
just with your eyes closed, I, I, I'm not saying this in condemnation or in an accusatory way. But if you would have a moment of brutal honesty between your heart and God's, is your spiritual life characterized by the joy and vitality and fullness that anyone else would find attractive? Are you leading the kind of life that your kids naturally gravitate to and want to be like you? Do they see a mom and a dad who is vibrant and alive because God is pulsing through their body? Do they see a, a parent or a brother or sister or a coworker who's got emotional margin and capacity and life to give? Or are you a bit like me and you are riding on the edge of a cliff of burnout and breakdown? Frayed rope and wire. See, most of us live in this same blizzard of chaos that our world does, with restlessness that's led us to bondage and brokenness, anger and worry and depression, anxiety, addiction. It's led us to running faster and harder and longer to chase our vision of life down. And the chief reason, as Jesus is saying, that Christians are spiritually dead or on life support is that we've adopted the values of exhaustion, productivity, and consumption, and hustle that everyone else has. And that busyness, that worried, frantic pace is choking your spiritual life. It's killing your joy. And it's destroying your witness to your kids and your family, your friends, your schoolmates, your coworkers. And just as your eyes are closed, I want to just say to you, talking to myself here too, that Jesus has a different vision for your life that is shaped by his rhythm of rest. He's got a different vision of your life that is shaped by joy in his presence, wonder and awe. He's got a different vision of deep trust in his ability to provide for your family and your needs. He's got a vision for your life that is full So I'll ask this question again, and you can just reflect on this as your eyes are closed. What could you do for 24 hours that would fill your soul with deep, throbbing joy that would make you spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise? That's the heart of the Father in rest and Sabbath. He said he came to give you life and life to the fullest. There is a different way to live. And his invitation is, would you follow me in that? Jesus, we just, we bring you our struggle today. 
our struggle with trusting you in our life, our struggle to feel like we need to produce and to earn and to work and to run at a breakneck speed. We just bring you our struggle, um, how we even idolize exhaustion and busyness, like there's some kind of badge of honor that we wear being so frantic and so worried and so hurried in our life that we have nothing to give to anybody else, let alone ourselves. We just bring to you, God, the the areas of our life that we've turned to, the things that we wanna buy and and have that we think will bring us joy. And we just say, Jesus, we, we wanna learn the source of true joy in our life. And so in a world, God, that is literally coming apart at the seams, I'm asking that in us, you would counterform us to be people of deep faith and peace and rest in a world that is coming apart. That we would be people with margin emotionally, that we would be people with reserves of love and mercy and compassion in a world that is broken and argumentative and angry and divided. God, that we would be tapped into you, the source of life. Father, I pray that our kids and our friends, our schoolmates, our co-workers would see something from our rhythm of rest in life that is attractive to them. that we're not being crushed by the weight of just endless consumption and production. We are living a different kind of life that is filled with joy. Father, I just ask that you would just move us one step further in intentionality with these kinds of rhythms in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. 